Uh, in James chapter 1, I want to start out today. When I, when I prepare for a message, I usually have this thought. Is this a single message that God wants to speak to the body in one week? Or is this something that is going to last for several weeks, which is what we call a series? And uh, what I typically find is that when it's for one week, and by the way, if you weren't here last week, I would highly encourage you to go to our website, newdaydfw.com. The guys that are working on that, Caleb and Joe, and these guys are doing a great job right now. There's some really good stuff. Our sermons are now on there. You can uh, uh, go to our podcast and listen to it. You can watch it online. Um, and uh, there's some really good stuff on our page right now that, that they're developing. Um, but I really encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go to last week's message and listen to it. I felt like it was a one-week message, but it was an important message for our whole body. And so I'm going to be doing that. I really encourage you to do that. But this week, as I began to get into this, I realized I couldn't do this in one week. There's no way. So this is a two-week message, not a whole series, but a two-week message. And in James chapter 1, the Bible says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you know the word oxymoron? Oxymoron are two seemingly opposite statements that are true, but they're made in the same sentence. Can I tell you, I usually don't think of joy and trials in the same thought. To the average person, joy and trials is an oxymoron. Anybody with me on that one? So he says, consider it. Think about it. Take into account that when we face trials of many kinds, we need to count it all joy. Can somebody say amen? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So how can we consider trial and testing as pure joy? Because we recognize that the trial and the test is not the end. The trial and test is just the conduit to get us to the end. Somebody say amen. I love this statement. In Romans 8... It says, for God works all things together for good to him who is called according to his purpose. Amen? So I'm paraphrasing there. But, right? He works all things together. So if it's not good yet, he's not done yet. <laughs> oh, I, I, I need you to help me out today. I'm kind of pumped up. I got a lot on my heart, but I, I'm, I know I got where I got to go here. So help keep me on track here. I said, if, he's, if it's not good yet, he's not done yet. Because he's going to work it out for good. Today, I want to preach to you a simple message called faith, time, and harvest. Faith, time, and harvest. This statement is so true. I believe, if I can get it up there. Oh, man, technology today. I'll just say it. The greatest test of faith is time. The greatest test of faith is time. Will you look up there and say that with me? The greatest test of faith is time. Have you seen that? It's interesting because out of James, it says that, it, that, that those trials develop perseverance. But how many of you have ever noticed that patience and perseverance have to have time attached to it? There's no quick perseverance. So the greatest test of our faith is really time. 
we have to recognize that there is a time in the test. There is a time to the perseverance. There is a time on the trial. But can I encourage you this morning that that time will end? Mm-hmm. That the time will end. You see, when we look at space and time and all of that in our human understanding, we recognize that, that, that there's a beginning, there's an end. There's an alarm clock, right? And it finally goes off. But there's a time to go to sleep, but there's a time to wake up. There's a time of mourning, but there's also a time of dancing. There's a time for everything, a season unto everything under heaven. One day we won't, be, we won't have to be relegated to that time, but that's more for the Wednesday night driven by eternity class to talk about that. Right now I'm saying that in this time, in this day, we have to recognize that there's time to the trial. So I want you to now, I'm going to switch over, Chuck, if that's okay, because I don't want to mess with this. I've been fighting with that all day. In Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, it says, After this, Jesus traveled around from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, I want you to see this. This is, this is a little bit of a side note, but I want you to see this, is that Jesus didn't go around with this huge bank account that he got from heaven when he came to earth. The Bible says that there were men who traveled around with him, but there were women who supported his ministry out of their own means. In other words, out of offerings, they were supporting the evangelism and the discipleship ministry of Jesus. We know that also later on, we find out that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were doing the same thing. So there were many people who believed in Jesus' ministry. How many of you think Jesus would have been good soil to sow into, right? It would have been a good one to sow into. But they didn't realize, even at that time, they didn't recognize everything that he would do and exactly who he was. But Jesus was supported in his ministry by those whom he impacted with his message and his ministry. Watch this. Go back to verse uh, 2. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Who cast those demons out? Jesus. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household. How many of you know Jesus' ministry even reached into the government? Why did Herod want to see him later on? Because his own manager of his household was talking about him. Hello? Susanna and many others. So when we recognize that we've been touched by Jesus, hmm, we want to support what he's doing. We want to get involved in what he's doing. And that leads right into the next verse there in Luke chapter 8, chapter, verse 4 through 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some seed fell along the path and it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. Somebody say good soil. And it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Then he said this in verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. 
The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing. Did you hear that? In the time of testing, they fall away. I mean, even know God did not design us to fall away in the time of testing. He designed us and gave us the ability to persevere through it. We'll come back to that. Okay? Then it says there, verse 14, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature. But the seed on good soil, say good soil, stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. How many of you want to be good soil? Amen? Let me just tell you real quick about these three words. Hear, retain, and persevere. First, hear is the word, the Greek word, akio. It means to attend to, to consider what has been said, to understand, to perceive the sense of what is said, to comprehend, to give ear to a teaching or teacher. Can I tell you, there are times when it is easier to hear a teacher than other times. Did you ever have a teacher in school that you really liked? Anybody? I I had some that I really, really liked. And I could listen to them all day long. In Bible school, it was Leroy Bartell. That man could teach for hours, and I would be enraptured by what he said, and I would receive what he said. But since this is being live cast, I won't tell you some of the other teachers that, I, that that wasn't the case. But I remember one teacher, in fact, he was kind of important in the school. Uh, he was up in the government of the school. Uh, when he would teach at chapel, people would literally walk out of chapel. Now, I think that that's pretty rude. But still, they would do it. Why? Because this man would go on and on and on and on. But can I tell you something? Both Leroy Bartell and the other gentleman I won't mention have done some of the most extensive ministry of any two gentlemen I've ever met in my entire life. And I just determined in my heart, I'm not saying I was a saint at all, but I just determined in my heart, you know what? There's a reason that this man is in the position he's in. Maybe he's not as captivating in his speech and captivating in his teaching skills as Leroy Bartell, but there's something about him that I need to learn from. And can I tell you, can I tell you, I gained so much from him after that decision. That's what a good heart does. A good heart says, I want to receive the word of God. I want to receive the teaching. I'm going to listen. I'm going to tune my ear in to hear what God is saying through that teacher, whether I like how he or she teaches or not. That was a good word for somebody right there. I'm going to move on. The second thing he said that those who have a good heart or good soil retain the word of God. The Greek word there is ketchiko. And, it, and it's kind of interesting. It's to hold fast. It's almost like to catch, to hold fast, to keep secure, to get possession of or to possess. So what does someone that is hearing the word of God do then? They say, not only is this good teaching, but I'm going to possess it. This is for me. Can I say this? For those of you that have ever heard a prophetic word, maybe maybe myself or someone else is prophesying over someone, and you go, wow, that's a really good word for them. I wish that was for me. You know what I've learned to do in settings like that? Say, God, I'll take that too. I'll just go ahead and take that as well. I'll take that word for myself because that's a good word. And if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. 
What am I doing there? I'm possessing what is being spoken at that moment. That's what retaining the word does. When the word of God is taught or preached, I'm saying not only am I going to turn my ear, but I'm also going to take it to myself. I'm going to possess it for myself. I'm going to retain it. And then finally, it's that third word, kind of the more unpopular word, persevere. Say persevere. The Greek word there is hypome. It means steadfast, constancy, endurance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. That's what that word means. Let me read it again. The characteristic of a man or a woman who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying when the word of God goes out, when it's broadcast out, I have a choice to hear the word of God to turn my attention to the teaching, to possess it for mine, to hold fast and keep it to me, and then to carry it on. And no matter what comes my way, I'm not letting go. Have you ever received a promise from God? Have you ever received a promise from God that maybe hasn't been fulfilled yet? Have you let it go or are you holding on? Are you carrying it through to completion? Are you carrying it through to the other side? I think of my wife in this. How that there was a day when I pulled out the ring and said, will you marry me? And she shocked me and said, yes. And I said, yeah. And then there was a Time frame. How many of you know time? How many know when you're young and in love, that time frame seems like forever. When I read about uh, uh, Jacob and I read about uh, all of that, and you know, he says it was just like a day to him. No way, man. It seems like the drag. Come on, when is the day coming? Now, for us, we were separated during that time. She was in Montana, I was in Texas, and uh, we were doing stuff and getting ready, and I was starting a ministry, and things were happening, and so it just seemed like forever, that time, but we persevered, and we made it a whole six months, it just seemed like forever, and then we made it through, we carried it to completion, and we got married, but can I tell you now, looking back 26 years, that six months was just like that. How many of you know time looking at, look, looked at with perspective changes everything? And now that we've done what? 52 of those six-month periods. It seems to move faster and faster and faster. Nathan being on the mission field for a year, it was tough. I tell you, some of you guys think that this is easy to let our kids go on the mission field because it's part of our heart. But it's not. We're still, we're still mom and dad. We're still our kids. And when we said goodbye to Nathan in, in the airport, that was tough. We didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen in Nicaragua. We didn't know the country was going to blow apart. We didn't know that he was going to have to come back for a month. When we let him go, we were letting him go for a year. But I tell you, that last year, 2018, went by so fast. After it was over. And now, Jonathan's been in Vietnam for a week and a half, and it seems like it's dragging on already. But we know that this life is brief. This life is but a vapor. And if we can yet hold on to the word that God has given us, hold on to the seed of the word, to the promise that he's given us, and say we will persevere in the greatest trial. And, and here's a statement that I heard recently that I really like. Because in these times, be patient. Because in time, even an egg can walk. Be patient. Because in time, even an egg can walk. I want to continue to talk about this whole thing of Jesus the sowing 
and the reaping. Do you know that the law of sowing and reaping is one of the most important laws in the word of God? God said, don't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He said, I'm not a liar. A man will reap what he sows. And so Jesus in this teaching is teaching us about perseverance. He's teaching us about holding on to that seed. But he's teaching us about letting that seed go deep in our heart and letting that truth begin to germinate and begin to grow in our life. And there's a few principles out of this that we've got to understand. First of all, we will only reap a harvest if we sow the seed. We will only reap a harvest if we sow the seed. How many of you know if, if the one who sowed the seed would have kept it in the back, it would have never grown? But yet, four-fifths of the seed that went out did not have a harvest. We just read it. There's one that, threw, that was on thorny ground, one was on the path, on hard ground, all these different things. The harvest did not grow fully in any of those other areas except for the good soil. And many times people will tell you, oh, don't sow that seed. Don't do that. Don't give to that person your love because they will just choke it out. They won't receive it. Don't give that person forgiveness. They don't deserve forgiveness. They're not going to return that forgiveness anyway. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, Don't give, you know, you've given enough to missionaries. Come on, how much can, do missionaries really need? I mean, do we really need another missionary, Pastor Ricky? Man, I was impressed by last week's missionary. I love, I love that guy. He talked faster than any man I've ever met in my entire life. But he said so much. And, And if you think that was just his stage voice, I went to lunch with him. I can tell you, he talked even faster at lunch. But yet that man, that young man is going somewhere. God's got a purpose and a plan on his life. I loved us being able to sow into that ministry. But we can get that way. We can begin to get callous. Oh, come on, you know, is there another project? Are we really? And and some people say, well, you know, I need to hold on. Almost like Nathan was saying, I I just got to hold on because my 401k needs a little bit more. We only reap a harvest if we sow the seed. Secondly, we reap the same kind as we sow. I said we reap the same kind as we sow. The same kind of seed. How many of you know if you put an apple seed in the ground, you're not going to grow oranges? If you place money into missions, what are we going to grow? Souls. If you put money into the kingdom, if you put your time, I, here's, we've, we've been teaching this lately, but, but let me say it again. That if you sow forgiveness in someone's life, that person may not reciprocate. Have you ever found that? Maybe you give love to someone, but that person doesn't reciprocate. But can I tell you, God is not a liar. A man will reap what he sows. And what I have found is if I sow love into someone else, I might not receive love from them, but I will receive love from another area. So we will reap the same kind as what we sow. Next, this is a good one. We will reap in a different season than when we sow. You see, some people want to sow a seed and immediately receive a harvest. Can I tell you, that's not the way it works. I realize we're all in the city. You know, most of us don't do much in our garden. But there is one man in this place that understands gardens, and that is Jerry Johnson. Can grow a garden like nobody's business. But one thing I've learned from Jerry in our squalid attempt to try and plant a garden, and that is that you don't put the seed in and it immediately grows. So you don't reap in the same season than when we sow. That's why it's, it's not always a good thing to listen to every televangelist. I'm not saying they're all bad. There's a lot of really good ones. But it's probably not a good thing to listen to every televangelist that says, if you send me $100, God's going to send you 1000 tomorrow. 
It's been a long time since I've told this story, so I'll tell it quickly. That is, when we were, were first married, we were in Montana, our second ministry, and I was at home. I don't know where Joni was doing something. I was at home, and I was watching Christian television, and someone got on there, and they said, sow a seed. And I was like, oh, you know, I didn't, I just kind of, it was one of those types of things. I just let it go over. And then the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. I said, okay, Lord, what, what are you saying? And the Lord said, sow a seed. So I did. I sowed a huge seed into that ministry. And I told Joni when I got home what I did. And she said, you sowed that big of a seed? And I said, yeah. I sowed $25. (laughs) Yeah, she was like, wow, $25. But for me, it was a big deal. And we just agreed together and said, God, whatever that seed, whatever we're supposed to sow that, then let it be. Do you know that, what was it, within three months, about three months later, I'd forgotten about the seed until I got my tax return back. This is the first year we had ever received anything back from our taxes. I don't know if we've been doing them wrong. I don't know. I just don't know. But all I know is we sowed a seed of $25, and three months later, we received back $2,500. And when I saw it, this is what God said. You sow when I tell you to sow, and I'll make sure you're taken care of. But it was a different season. It was a different time. It was three months later. But it goes right into this. We reap more than we sow. So let's go back to the example of love. I give love to somebody. I reach out and extend my heart to somebody. Can I tell you, even if they don't return that, God is not a liar. A man will reap what he sows. And guess what happens? I receive more love than I gave. Why? Because a seed is this big. But when you plant this apple seed and when you grow an apple tree, you get a bunch of apples. And what is contained in every single one of those apples. Multiplied seeds. We always reap more than we sow. And I I really like this one. We reap in proportion to what we sow. Corinthians, Paul said, if you sow little, you reap little. If you sow much, you reap much. Now, what is much? Well, much depends on you, on, on what you have to give. If you are just learning how to love people, then maybe it's just a little bit of love. And maybe that's a lot for you. If you've got a big heart, maybe it's a lot of love to somebody else. But maybe to you, you need to be giving more. You need to be extending yourself more. You need to be reaching out to your neighbors more. Because we reap in proportion to what we sow. That's according to Scripture. And it's also according to the law of sowing and reaping. If I sow one seed of apple tree, hopefully, most of you that know anything about sowing, you know you got to do more than one seed usually. But if you do one seed and you get an apple tree out of that, praise God. But what about a whole orchard? What if you want more? What if you need a whole orchard? Then you better sow more seed. And here's the principle from Jesus. Because the farming techniques were a little different in his example than what we do. How many of you know in in many cultures like ours, what do we do with those seeds? We plow up a what? A line. And then what do we do with those seeds? Boop. 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 What does the scripture say though? What was that guy doing? He was... Let me give you a principle. This is why we don't do one outreach a year. This is why we do multiple outreaches in multiple ways. This is why we do a thing like VBS and then a thing like a pumpkin patch. Why? Because we know that there are certain people who will be reached through a VBS, but there's other people that will be reached through a pumpkin patch. And i got to tell you, I expected 
watch this. I kind of expected that the people that we would touch through our pumpkin patch would all be young families. But do you know who our number one people walking onto our campus was to get a pumpkin? It was our grandparents. It was those not with small children. Now, we had the people with small children, but we had older people coming, and they would decorate with those pumpkins. And oh, I remember one lady one, a couple of years ago, she came in, and she bought like $200 worth of pumpkins, and, and she put them in her garden and put them in her yard, and then she came back for more. And at that time, I'm like, okay, Lord, you've given us another chance. And so we prayed with her. I mean, I'm telling you, there we, we do multiple things. Why? Because we want to reach different people. As, as my pastor said of, uh, in Florida, he said, if you want more mud to stick on the wall, throw more mud. Some of you will get that later. If you want more mud to stick on the wall, throw more mud. If you want more of a harvest, throw more seed. Some of you, this is good teaching, whether you believe it or not. This is good teaching. We reap the full harvest. Watch this. We will reap a full harvest if we persevere. That is directly out of this passage. If we persevere. You see, there were three things here, right? Receive it. Retain it but also persevere. Say persevere. You see, perseverance is that thing we're really talking about today because if you're patient in time, even an egg can walk. We persevere and we receive a full harvest. I like this one. We can't do anything about last year's harvest. But we can do something about the years to come. How many of you have ever lamented that you didn't do something last year? You've heard my example. I don't, I don't as far as I know, other than through the 403B that I have, I don't, I don't know anything about stocks. But yet I love to watch the stock market. I don't know why. Part of it may have to do with this principle. Because I remember years ago telling my father-in-law, because I didn't have any money at that time. I was just starting the church plant. I said, Dad, you need to invest in Apple. He's like, what's, you mean like apples? I was like, no, 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 Apple, Apple. It's a computer company, but it's about to become one of the world's greatest companies. And he said, okay, well, how much is it? And, I, and at that time, it was like, the stock was like 35 or $37. Anybody follow stocks? Like I said, I don't have any, but maybe you follow them. He said, oh, I don't know about that, Rick. I'm going to do Ford or something like that. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, that's another story. But what I should have done is I should have taken that little, little bit, and I should have put it in there, shouldn't I? Because those of you that know, know that Apple went up to almost 1,000 before they split the stock. And now it just just continues to go. Can't touch it for that amount. What's the point? The point is I can keep giving this example and lamenting about that. Or I can say, God, what are you doing today? Because I may not be able to do anything about last year's harvest, but God, I know I want to see a harvest this year. What can I do? Who are the people that you've placed in my path? What neighbors have recently moved in? Maybe that neighbor next door to me that I thought I was going to reach has completely rejected the gospel and even my family. But I'm going to tell you what, there's new neighbors moving in. Come on, somebody. What can I do about this year's harvest? I can do something. Would you just look up here and just, just say this with me? Say, this year I can do something. You can do something. It may not be everything, but you can do something. As we say here at New Day Church, we will do for one what we wish we could do for all. We may not be able to do for all, but if we can do something for someone, then let's do something for someone. That one. And let's do something about the harvest. One more. The most significant day of the harvest 
is the day you choose the seed. Think about that. The most significant day of the harvest is the day you choose the seed, which goes back to the first. You cannot reap a harvest if you don't sow the seed. So what seed is it that God is challenging you today to sow? Don't worry, I'm not receiving an offering. I probably should, but I'm not. You can do that online if you want. The point is, what kind of seed is God asking you to sow today? Is it a seed of love to a neighbor? Is it a seed of forgiveness to someone who's hurt you? Is it a seed of kindness? Can, can I, let me just go ahead and say it. Easter's coming. Did you know that? Easter's coming and it comes every year. I was going to save this for March 10th, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask you. I don't care what you have going on for Easter Sunday. There is nothing more important than for you to be at New Day Church on Easter Sunday. Yeah, I said it. Why? Because I am believing God for a harvest on Easter Sunday like we've never seen before. I'm believing that God is going to do something because this is what has happened in the past. We, we have a great Sunday. It's an, always an exciting Sunday and a powerful Sunday, and, 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 and it's always good, and someone always gets saved. But can I tell you what? So many of us go to different places. Well, my, my uncle's doing this or my kid's doing that. And, or, you know, we're going to go here. We're going to go there. And, and, and so many of us are spread out all over the place. And I'm saying, God, I want our people to be looking at our harvest this year. Lord, let this be a year of harvest at New Day Church. Okay. Uh, don't worry, I'll keep saying this for the next 10 weeks. I'm going to say, let this be a year of harvest at New Day Church and let Easter Sunday. And you say, why is that so important? I mean, we celebrate Jesus like Easter every Sunday. We should. Amen? We should. But how many of you know there's a world out there that doesn't? They celebrate a bunny. They celebrate candy. They celebrate spring clothes. They don't celebrate Jesus. They celebrate religion, but they don't celebrate Jesus. But they can. And we can show them. We can sow that seed. So I'm asking you today, what seed are you going to sow into your neighbor's lives? What seed are you going to sow into the guy at Kroger's? What seed are you going to sow into the woman at Costco? What seed are you going to sow into that teacher at your school? What seed are you going to sow into your family members' lives? And begin now to choose a seed that says, God, I want to see this individual come to Christ. What would happen if we set our hearts to the harvest? But we got to plant the seed now. we got to plant the seed now. So what's a seed you can begin to sow? A seed of kindness. A seed of kindness saying, you know what? I'm going to start out with kindness. That's always a good place to start, by the way. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So I'm going to start out with kindness. I'm going to start out by doing something nice for my neighbor, for my friend, for my family member, for the person that I don't even know, but I'm going to do something kind for them and begin to see this happen. Because I believe if we're patient in time, we'll see that even an egg can walk. I'm going to come back to part two next week, but I, I want to tell you a story. I want to finish up with this. Back in 1921, a missionary couple named David and Sevilla Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa to what was then called the Belgian Congo. They met up with another Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons, and the four of them sought God for direction in those days, much 
of much tenderness and devotion and sacrifice, they felt of the Lord that they would go out to the main mission station and then take the gospel to a remote area. This was a huge step of faith. At the village of Nadolera, they were rebuffed by the chief who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. The two couples opted to go a half mile up the slope and build their own mud huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. Their only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chicken and eggs twice a week. Svea Flood and a tiny woman of only four feet, eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead that boy to Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded. But there were no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member of the little band after another. In time, the Ericsons decided that they had had enough suffering and left to return to the central mission station. David and Svea Flood remained near Nadalaria to go on alone. Then, of all things, Svea found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born, who they named Aniah. The delivery, however, was exhausting, and Svea Flood was already weak from bouts of malaria. The birth process was a heavy blow to her stamina. She lasted only another 17 days. Inside David Flood, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave buried his 27-year-old wife, then took his children back down the mountain to the mission station. Giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. And with that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious malady and died within days of each other. The baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie and eventually brought her back to the United States at age three. This family loved this little girl and was afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her from them. So they decided to stay in their home country and switch from missionary work to pastoral ministry. And that is how Aggie grew up in South Dakota. As a young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis, where she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Years passed, and the Hurst enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth first to a daughter, then to a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, and Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it, and of course she couldn't read the words, but as she turned the pages, all of a sudden a photo stopped her cold. There was a primitive setting, and it was a grave with a white cross on it, and on the cross were the words, Svea Flood. Aggie jumped into her car, went straight to a college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. What does this say, she demanded. The instructor summarized the story. It was about a missionary who had come to Nadalaria long ago, the birth of a white baby, the death of the young mother, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how after the whites had all left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all of his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ. Even the chief had become a Christian. Today, there were 600 Christian believers in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Svea Flood. For the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with the gift of a vacation to Sweden. There, Aggie sought to find her real father. An old man now, David Flood, had remarried, fathered four more children, and generally dissipated his life with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke. Still bitter, he had one rule in his family, never mention the name of God because God took everything from me. After an emotional reunion with her half-brother and sister, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. 
The others hesitated. You can't talk to him, they replied, even though he's very ill now. But you need to know that wherever or whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Aggie was not to be deterred. She walked into the squalid apartment with liquor bottles everywhere and approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively. He turned and began to cry. Anaya, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued undaunted. Papa, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. And today there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you and has never hated you. The old man turned back and to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had rededicated his life to God. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband soon had to return to America. And within a few weeks, David Flood went into eternity. A few years later, the Hearst were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England, where a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the National Church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Svia Flood. Yes, madame, the man replied in French, his words then being translated to English. It was Sevilla Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by us all. He embraced her into a long, sobbing hug. Then he continued, you must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. In that time, in time, that is exactly what Aggie Hurst did and her husband. But they were welcomed when they got there by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father many years before to carry her back down the mountain in a hammock cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. She knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks. Later that day in the church, the pastor read from John twelve twenty four. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. Then he followed with Psalm 126.5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. This is a true story about true missionaries and the assumptions of God. I want you to stand right now. God may not be asking you to go to another nation, or he may. The key is, on this day, what seed are you going to sow? What seed has God asked you to sow? And recognize that there will be trial, there will be tribulation, but by the testing of our faith, it will produce a harvest if we persevere. New Day Church, I'm asking you, not only are you ready to sow the seed, but are you ready to persevere? And I look around this room and I think, some of you have already sown the seed and you're persevering. Would you bow your heads? God, we come before you in this moment and we say to you, we are willing to not only sow the seed, but we are willing to water it, to hold on to it to let it go deep in our hearts. God, and we want to see a harvest. We want to see a harvest of souls in the Metroplex and around the world. God, we want to see a harvest of lives around the throne room of God because of the seed that you asked us to sow. We were willing to say yes 
God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us to be, to be strong in this testing of time. That we would not become weary in well-doing. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You said in your word, God, that those who endure to the end, they shall be saved and shall receive the crown of life. Lord, we say to you right now, we are done with excuses. We are done with whining and complaining. God, we are done with all of that. And we say to you, we will go. We will plant. We will spread the seed of the gospel. We will do what you have asked us to do. Whether financially, whether with love, whatever, God, it's seed. And we say to you, God, we will be willing. Help us to persevere. Holy Spirit, empower us. Holy Spirit, stiffen our spines with faith. In the name of Jesus. Would you just offer your seed to him right now? Just say, Lord, take my seed. Let it be planted in a good soil where it will grow and grow and grow. Because, God, I want a great harvest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we commit ourselves to you now. hear the Lord saying, it's not about planting a big seed. It's about planting many seeds. <laughs> many seeds will produce a harvest that we could never imagine. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for those who sowed seeds into my life into our lives that have led us to this point. God, we thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for that, God. We don't want to forget their sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I've got to be honest with you, it's hard for me to end this. It is. In the old days, I would have called you down to all the altars. But here's the thing. We've got to walk it out. We, get, there's, we can't just stand here and plant the seed. Amen? We've got to walk it out. So with that, I say to you, let's go walk it out. Let's go plant the seed. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. We'll see you Wednesday night.